Hi, church. Hi, SIBKL. Hi, everybody tuning in online. Um, it is a privilege to bring the Word of God before all of you. It is my prayer that everybody tuning in, you're feeling okay, you're feeling safe, you're feeling at home, you are rested, you are comforted in your spirit in the name of Jesus. So I want to thank you for tuning in. And today, we're going to dive into the Word of Zechariah. And I have a, I have a, a word that I'm, I, I pray that I can do justice to this text. I pray that the Word, uh, that God will use me as a mouthpiece to bring onto you. And I pray that you will be blessed because today I entitled my sermon Grace Upon Grace. Grace upon grace, that God will give you one level of grace and then He gives you more grace and then He gives you more grace because our God is a gracious God. So uh, uh, in the last quarter of uh, um, 2020, SIBKL, we are studying and we're going through the book of Zechariah uh, uh, and we've done the overview, we've done Zechariah 1, we've done Zechariah 2 and today we're going to land on Zechariah 3 and this chapter is it's very personal to me. Uh, um, I love this chapter for many reasons, and I hope I do it justice, but I'm going to read through this um, 10 verses together, and I hope that wherever you are at home, wherever you are tuning in, that you will read together with me. Is that okay? So I'm going to read from Zechariah chapter 3, 1 to 10. Then he showed me, Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Now pay attention, right? So just imagine there's God, then there's Joshua, and Satan is standing on Joshua's right side to accuse him. Verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. That's, that's really important. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Verse 6, the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. I will give you a place among these standing there. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come, I am going to bring my servant the brunch. I'll say it again. I am going to bring my servant the brunch. See, the stone I've set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land. How many days? In a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine to sit under his fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Let us just commit this time to God. God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father God, for this word. We thank you, Father God, for the word of God that has lasted years after years, centuries after centuries, to bring us hope, to bring us life. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you fill this sanctuary today. 
you fill my heart today and you fill the hearts of everybody tuning in. May we take home a word of God and may our lives never be the same again. Let us see who you are and let us listen to your word. So we thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, this is a, this is a, a, a really interesting scripture because um, it's almost like a courtroom, right? Uh, it's almost like a, a, there is a three main figure in this whole narrative, in this whole story, in this whole movie, uh, and there is God, uh, uh, there is us, and there is Satan, right? So there's God st standing in the middle. Then he's looking at us, or Joshua. So in, in, in Zechariah 3, it's Joshua, but I think we can replace Joshua as us. So imagine you and me in the place of Joshua and we're standing before God. We've come before God and we're standing before Him. And who is on our right-hand side? In verse 1, we've learned that Satan is on our right-hand side. Now, he stands on the right side, maybe because he's right. So he stands on the right side. And what does he do? He accuses us. So, so it's almost like there is a, 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 a three main characters in this story. Now, this is a vision that Zechariah had. So he woke up one night because the Spirit of God woke him up and he awoken to a vision. Now, if you, if you study Leviticus 16, you would know that this vision looks something like the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, right? Um, so in this vision, if you look back from the vision, you will see, hey, this, this vision looks almost like the Day of Atonement. Now, give me 30 seconds. Let me explain the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is a, is a special week where the Jews across the whole land of Israel will come into Jerusalem and the high priest would represent the hall of Jerusalem. So this high priest will be dressed in royal attire, almost like a king, almost like a priest. So he's, he's, he's dressed in royal attire of gold and he's decked with gems, right? And he stands before the people and then he turns into the holy of holies to stand before God. And before he goes in, he, he has a change of clothes into something white. White represents purity. White, white represents holiness. White represents blamelessness. And he goes into the holy of holies to, uh, to intercede for the whole of Israel to say that the sins of the nation, the sins of every family, the sins of every person is placed on the shoulders of the high priest. And the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is alive. And the high priest says, I'm here on behalf of the people to ask for your forgiveness. Will you forgive us, Israel? Oh Lord. And God says, yes, I will forgive. Then there is a slaughter of bulls. Then there is a sacrifice of rams. Then there are two goats to cut the long story short. And God says, I've placed the sins of the people upon these animals. Now kill them in sacrifice before God. Release one goat into the desert. And I have forgotten the sins of the nations on that day. So the sins of the nations for the whole year would have been forgotten on the day of atonement. And, and, and the interesting fact, there is a a rope, uh, um, a rope tied around the waist of the high priest because as the high priest go into the Holy of Holies and if there is one ritual wrong and if he maybe have one thread out of place or maybe there is a spot and a blemish on his coat and everything is not perfect as, and as he goes into the Holy of Holies and if he is not acceptable before the presence of God, God would strike him dead and the people outside would use the rope to pull the body out of the Holy of Holies 
and says, God is angry at the people of Israel. Their sins are not forgotten. Now, that's the Day of Atonement. Now, if you, if you read this vision, you would see, hey, there are a lot of similarities be, be, uh, between this vision and the Day of Atonement, and I will uh, reference the Day of Atonement here uh, and there. But let's, let's move on forward. I want to talk about the roles of Satan the roles of God and the roles of us or Joshua. What are the roles that these main character plays? And I'll prove them from Scripture. First of all, what is Satan's role? And in this story, Satan only have one role and his role is to accuse us. His role is to accuse us. All right? And we find that in verse uh, Zechariah 3, chapter 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And that's the whole role of Satan. Now, you must understand that the, the meaning of the word Satan or devil is the accuser of the brethren. That he comes before God and he looks at us and he accuses us of every single wrong thing that we have done in our life. And if you're, if you're a husband or you're a father of a family, you are bearing the weight and the responsibility of your family. And, and Satan says, I'm not just going to accuse you of your wrongdoings, I'm going to accuse you of your wife's wrongdoings and your children's wrongdoings. And if you are a, a priest in the nation of Israel or a pastor in the church, he's not going to just accuse you for your wrongdoings, he's going to accuse you for your family's wrongdoings and also your congregation's wrongdoings. He's going to accuse the high priest for the wrongdoings of the whole nation of Israel. And that's why the, the role of the high priest is really, really so important. And that's the whole role of Satan. And I want you to imagine if you are Joshua and Satan really, really come to you to accuse you of every wrongdoing that you have done. Just imagine it. Imagine there's a scroll, there's a huge uh, roll of paper and Satan writes down every single thing that you've done wrong. And he knows every thought that you have, are thinking that goes against God. He knows every single evil in your heart that you're thinking that goes against God. He knows every single action that you have done wrong against God. If it's in public, he knows it. If it is in private, behind closed doors, Satan would also know it. And he stands before God and he, it's almost like he, he writes all this in a scroll and he presents it before God and almost like a thousand and a thousand million one sins are written on the scroll and says, God, this man is guilty. Put your name in replacement of Joshua. I'll put my name. And Satan would have go, gone up to God and says, God, Isaac Ling is guilty as charged. These are his crimes against you. He's guilty as charged. And that's the whole role of Satan. And I just want you to know, what happens in the spiritual atmosphere also happens in the physical atmosphere. Read Ezra chapter 5. It says, now Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah. So this is where, remember Haggai and Zechariah are contemporaries, right? So now Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the prophet, a descendant of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shotil, and Joshua, son of Josedach, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. At that time, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar, Bozanai, and their associates went to them and asked, 
Who authorized you to build, to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? See, what happens in the physical, what you can see in our eyes, is always represented in the spiritual. What happens in the spiritual realm would manifest itself in the physical realm. So what, what Zechariah sees, the, the vision of, of, of Joshua being accused by Satan in front of God, it happened in the physical. See, the governor of trans-Euphrates come up to Joshua and says, you are rebuilding the temple of God. Who gave you authority? Who gave you permission to rebuild this temple? What makes you think you have the right to rebuild this temple? And I want to pause right here. In our lives, especially in the year 2020, when a lot of things are, are going not as to plan, what are the things in your life, physically, that you feel the enemy come up against you to accuse you? What rights do you have to preach the Word of God? What rights do you have to worship God? What rights do you have to build the church of God? What rights do you have to be a husband of your wife? What rights do you have to be a good father to your children? What rights do you have to be a good employee in your company? You have done this wrong, this wrong, and this wrong. And in the natural, Satan will use people. Satan will use circumstances to come up against you and to accuse you, to make you guilty as charged so that he can take your future away from you. This whole prophecy, this whole vision is centered around God trying to restore Joshua to his prophetic destiny, and Satan is trying to rob Joshua of it. And it is the same for you, and it is the same for I. That when God says, I want to release you to your prophetic destiny, whoever you are listening in, in the year 2020, God says, I want to release you to your prophetic destiny, and I authorize you, I've given you everything that you need to achieve your prophetic destiny, but Satan comes in and says, what right do you have? You are guilty as charged. And more often than not, we listen to the voice of negativity rather than the voice of God. I'll say it again. We listen to the voice of Satan more than we listen to the voice of God. And we allow Satan to play with our minds and to play with our hearts and to say, yes, I've done wrong today. Today, I've done five things wrong. I've done 10 things wrong. I've done 20 things wrong. Yes, you are right, Satan. I have no right to take charge of worship. I have no right to take charge of my family. I have no right to be the head of my household. I have no right, Satan, you are right. And you sit there moping, and you sit there guilty as charged, and you sit there in your own home saying that I am worthless and I am useless. And that is the accusation and the purpose of why Satan come up against you to accuse you, robbing you of your destiny. But more interestingly, what does God say about you? So we know what Satan says about you. Now what does God say? And God says this, God, I rebuke you, Satan. God admonishes Satan. God says, I rebuke you, Satan. And he doesn't even say it once. He says it twice, just in case we didn't hear it the first time. You know, uh, um, in, we, we humans, right? We sometimes, we don't, 
we don't really hear you the first time around. You're going to need to repeat yourself a few times, especially if you've got young kids. You've got to repeat yourself at least a thousand times before uh, it really sinks in. And here in the Bible, God says, I'm going to repeat it twice, just in case you forget it the first time. God rebukes you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, who has chosen Joshua, the Lord who has chosen you, rebukes you, Satan. God admonishes Satan. And what does God do? God moves on to absolve Joshua. Now, that's a big word, absolve. What does absolve mean? It just means this. Absolution is to be pardoned of guilt and to be pardoned of punishment. You are free from guilt and now you are free from punishment. Where do I get it from? I get it from here. It's this. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebukes you, Satan. Now Joshua was dressed, dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. See, I've taken away your sins and I put rich garments on you. That is God saying, I absolve you from guilt. I absolve you from punishment. Now, what does the Bible not say? The Bible does not say whether God agrees or disagrees with Satan. Interesting. God just says, whatever you say, Satan, I rebuke you, I absolve him. Now, that's important to note. Why? Because God does not stand in front of us and in front of Satan to justify our actions. God does not stand in front of us to excuse our actions. He does not deny our actions. Take a note of that. So a lot of people would say, hey, God ignores sin. We're living in a time of grace. We're living in the New Testament, the, 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 the dispensation of grace. Yes, we are. But just because we're in the New Testament and where God's love and grace reign supreme, right? It does not mean that God closes a blind eye to sin. It does not mean that God denies any wrongdoings that we have done. God never, ever justifies Joshua. God never defends Joshua by making excuses for him. And that's what we do as humans all the time. When, when, when the enemy or when anybody comes to accuse us of something, the first line of defense is to say, I did not do it. I am not wrong because whatever it is. I, I, it's not my fault. It is his fault. It is her fault. It is it's this person's fault. If this person did not anger me so, I would not have cursed. So it's not my fault. It's this person's fault. If this person wasn't late to, to this meeting, I would have finished my presentation on time. So it's not my fault. It's this person's fault. And that's what we do. We love to justify ourselves. We love to give excuses for our wrongdoings. And God says, no, no, wait, wait, wait. I don't want to hear your justifications. I don't want to hear your excuse. I don't want you to hear how many people you can blame for your wrongdoings. You just stay silent in my presence because my grace will go before you and I will absolve you from every guilt, from every wrongdoing, and from every punishment. You see, Joshua approached God with filthy clothes. That's symbolic of what? our sins. 
See, we come before God with filthy clothes because we know that we are tainted before Him. We know that we have sinned before Him, and all our sins are playing back in our head, right? You see, back in the Day of Atonement, the high priest is supposed to go before God with royal robes, with white, pure, spotless robes before God, because he's supposed to be pure and holy before God. And if there's one thing wrong, God will judge you and strike you down. And this time, Joshua stands before God filthy. And it's almost as if Joshua is saying to God, God, here I am, guilty as charged. Everything the devil says about me, guilty as charged. Look at the posture of Joshua. He did not blame anybody. He did not justify himself. He does not give excuses for his wrong behavior. He just stands before God and says, I'm dressed in filthy clothes because I'm guilty as charged. I want us to all today take a posture of Joshua. Whatever wrongdoings we think that we have wronged God, we stand before God today and we say, in absolute humility, God, I am wrong. How many times have we said those words in our life? I am wrong, especially to the one that we have wronged. It is the most difficult. Don't you think? Right? It is, if, if, if I have a quarrel with my wife, and I know I'm wrong, it's easy for me to tell the whole world, you know, I had a quarrel with my wife, and I, yeah, I know, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's difficult to go to my wife and say, I had a quarrel with you, and I'm wrong. Right? When we stand before our wife, we want to say, I have a quarrel with you, and just so you know, I'm this much wrong, you are this much wrong. Right? That's all of us, right? And today we want to come before God. And instead of saying, We are this much wrong, or this much wrong, or this much wrong, we just come before God and say, God, I am wrong. I'm come before you in filthy clothes. And when we do that and we come before God in a posture of humility, we come before God and says, It is me that is wrong. God says, You know what? I'm going to absolve you. God can condemn you, but he chooses to absolve you. Satan can accuse you, but he cannot condemn you. All Satan can do is accuse you in hopes that God will condemn you or you will condemn you. He's just hoping for two outcomes. He hopes that you will condemn yourself or he hopes that God will condemn you. But then God says, I have the right to condemn you because he is the judge. Notice that Satan even knows that God is the judge of all judge, right? God says, I am the judge, but I do not condemn you. Instead, I absolve you. And that is exactly what we read in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then what does God do? He says, I'm going to take away your sins and I'm going to put rich garments upon you. Rich garments is the priestly robe, the robe of pure whiteness, the robe of purity and holiness. It is just, I want you to imagine, and, and I, before this, I wish I had a mannequin, right? It's almost almost like imagine Jesus, God with his pure white robes. And Jesus says, I am fully righteous and holy. This is my robe. But because I love you so much, I'm going to take off this robe of righteousness and I'm going to cover up your shame. I'm going to cover up your guilt. I'm going to cover up your condemnation and I'm going to free you. I'm going to absolve you. And today, Whoever you are listening in, 
I want you to know in your hearts of hearts that if you come before God, God will absolve you. God will dress you in His righteousness that you may stand faultless before the throne of God. You come in with filthy clothes, you go out with pure white robes. That is the grace of God. That is the grace of His heart of love and His Father's heart for you. That is the grace of God. But He does not absolve you just so that you can step out of the Holy of Holies and do whatever you want in your life. He absolves you so that you can do four things. This is four A's, and I'm going to quickly brush by it. He absolves you to appoint you. He absolves you to anoint you. And He absolves you to authorize you. Where do I get this from? It is all from the verse. He absolves you to appoint you. See, He says in verse 5, put a clean turban on His head. Now, the clean turban to the high priest is like, it's like a, almost like a final piece. You know, right? If you dress up, whether it's a cloak, whether it's a three-piece, two-piece, you put on your shoes, you put on your pants, and then the final piece is always the hat piece, right? It's always the head piece. Oh, it completes the look of whatever look you're going for. And in this scenario, God says, I put a clean turban on your head. It means that I've appointed you to be the high priest to intercede for people. I absolve you to appoint you so that you can take your rightful place to intercede, to pray, and to worship me. Then God says, I not just appoint you, I'm going to anoint you. And he says here, the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. If you walk in my ways and if you keep my commandments. In short, if you obey the Lord God Almighty. And he says, you know why I cleansed you? Do you know why I made you pure as snow? So that I can anoint your head. And when you walk in obedience, you don't have your sin weighing you down. But because I've cleansed you, you now walk in obedience starting from a right place not starting from a wrong place. And God says, I'm going to anoint you to obey. And if today you're finding that in this year, 2020, it is really difficult to obey God. It is really difficult to obey His commandments and walk with Him. Today, God wants to anoint you in your head. I'm going to free you from your guilt so that you can continue to walk in obedience with God and says, now I'm going to give you authority. Once God anoints you, then you will govern my house, you will have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Remember in Ezra chapter 5, when the governor of Trans-Euphrates came to Joshua and says, who authorized you to rebuild the temple of God? I can just imagine Joshua go, if you want proof, it is the Persian king that has given us physical authority to rebuild the temple. But if you really want the truth of all truths, capital T, it is the Lord God Almighty that has authorized me to govern His house, to take charge of His courts, and He has given me a place among those standing there. I answer my question that I've asked you from the beginning. Who gave you authority to be a husband? Who gave you authority to be a good father? Who gave you authority to be a good worker? Who gave you authority to be a good child of God? Your answer should always be the Lord God Almighty who anoints me, who appoints me, and who gives me authority. And then you ask, but for what? Why does He appoint? Why does He anoint? Why does He authorize me? It is to attract people into the kingdom 
of God. I'll say it again. It is to attract people into the kingdom of God because in the verse number 10 of Zechariah 3, it says, and on that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. That's sim- you know, a vine and fig tree in the Old Testament, especially in visionary language, it represents peace and prosperity, blessings. It represents peace and prosperity, blessings. And you just, I just want you to imagine you're sitting in your homes and on your couch right now. Just imagine a vine tree on your left and a fig tree on your right, and you're sitting under peace and prosperity, the blessings of God. And what is this blessing? It's the blessing to know that you are free from condemnation. You are free from shame. You are free from blame, and you can lead a life that is wholly devoted to Christ. And you know that this is a blessing that only comes from God. This is the peace that I have when I lay my head to sleep at night. And this is the prosperity that I have that I want to invite my neighbor to come and sit with me in this vine tree. You see what God is saying? God is saying that this grace that I'm giving you is so gracious that you must not contain it just for yourself. It cannot be a selfish grace. It needs to be a selfless grace that you give it out to other people and you invite your neighbors, you invite your family, you you invite your friends to come and sit with you under the vine and fig tree and says, will you also experience the grace that God has given me? I want you to know the grace that God also gives to you. Isn't that amazing that Satan accuses you, that God admonishes Satan, and then God absolves you to appoint you, to anoint you, to authorize you, and then so that you can attract people to the kingdom of of God. But all this vision, this whole vision, rests on a few key words. And the few key words is this. See. See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. See. Perceive. There are so many people out there We cannot perceive this forgiveness of God. We cannot perceive and we cannot see this grace of God because we cannot see this grace on our own physical eyes. This is not a ceremony that happens physically before our eyes. This is a ceremony that happens in the spiritual realm. And we need to open up our spiritual eyes to see that God loves you, that God wants to give you grace, that God wants to absolve you of your sin, to empower you to be all that He wants you to be, to release you to your prophetic destiny. God does not want you to be chained to shame, chained to blame, chained to accusation, and chained to shame. God says, I want to break that chain and I want to release you to your prophetic destiny. And God says, will you not see Isaiah chapter 43? It says, see, behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not see it? Do you not perceive it? And it is my prayer today that all of us here tuning in, that our spiritual eyes will be opened, that we can see and that we can accept and we can come humbly before God to say, God, 
I now can see your forgiveness over my life. In the name of Jesus, I just want to pray for spiritual eyes to be open today. That every accusation in the name of Jesus Christ be broken. That every accusation will not have chains that would chain my brothers and sisters to guilt and shame and condemnation. But in the name of Jesus, let our spiritual eyes be open. Remove the veil from my eyes that I can see the love of God, that I can see the grace of God that is bestowed upon me, that I can see through the eyes of my spirit that God wants to absolve me, appoint me, anoint me, authorize me, so that I can be an attraction of the gospel of Christ to many people. There's something missing in this whole vision. You see, in the Day of Atonement, the high priest needs to sacrifice a ram, a bull, goats, to be an atonement for our sins so that all the sins of the world will be placed on this sacrifice and God will pour out His wrath, pour out His punishment on this sacrifice. It is missing in this vision. Why? Because in verse 8, just in one sentence, Zechariah said, I'm sending you my servant, the branch. The branch stands for Jesus Christ. And if we need to see, what do we need to see? We need to see that cross that Jesus Christ have died for us, that have paid for us. That branch, what qualifies us to be forgiven? What qualifies us to be absolved of guilt and shame? What qualifies us to be clothed in rich, white, pure garments? What qualifies you and what qualifies me? It's the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross. It is the blood of Jesus on that cross for you. And God says, in, in, in this vision, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, five, six hundred years into the future. And he's going to be an atonement for all the sins of the world because I have chosen you. I have chosen you before the beginning of time and I will come and die for you so that you can be free of depression, so that you can be free of suicidal thoughts, so that you can be free from every guilt, so that you can be free from every shame, so that you can be free from every thought of condemnation before you. Jesus died for you and only if we can see with our spiritual eyes and receive Him and accept Him into our lives, God says, the moment you see the moment you listen, the moment you walk, the moment you keep, the moment you receive Jesus, I will clothe you with rich garments and I will put a clean turban on your head and I will give you the blessings and all spiritual blessings on this world. God says, I rebuke you, Satan, because I've chosen Jerusalem. And today God says, I rebuke you, Satan, because I've chosen you. How do we know that Jesus has chosen us? Ephesians chapter 1, for God has chosen you. For God has chosen the people of God to be holy and blameless before Him, to be redeemed by the blood of Christ, to accept and to receive the forgiveness of Christ through that cross. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that we are a chosen people. 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that we can sing praises and glorify our Father in heaven. We are chosen before God. Romans chapter 8 says, Who can bring a charge before my chosen? Who can bring a charge against my chosen? No one. Who can condemn my chosen people? No one. Because Jesus Christ was condemned for our sins. Because Jesus Christ paid the penalty of our sins. Who can bring a charge against you? No one. Will you not arise and sing praises to our God and receive Him today and see that God has freed you from condemnation and sin? Whoever you are today, my prayer is that whatever you're going through in your life, you will be able to see what God is doing in your life, what God has done in your life. And if that is you, and if you have a need right now, and if you feel condemned right now, and if you feel guilty right now, I want to assure you that God has chosen you. And I want you to take and stand as a prophetic act and say, God, I am now standing before you in filthy clothes. I'm standing before you, God, in my filthy clothes. Will you come in, Jesus Christ, and robe me with rich garments and put a clean turban on my head. If that is you, can I invite you to stand? Wherever you are, stand. It's only you and God. Nobody else is really looking. It's just you and God. It says, God, I'm standing before you. Just like Joshua stands before God. I'm standing before you. And I receive your son, Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty of my sins. Will you clothe me in rich garments? Will you free me from my condemnation? Will you free me from my accusations? And if that is you, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I stand before you, full of my sins, filthy clothes, dirty garments, I humble myself and say, guilty as charged. But I receive you, Jesus. You died for my sins. Your blood was shed for me. You have forgiven me. You resurrected on the third day so that I can be appointed by you, anointed by you, authorized by you, so that I can be an attraction for you to the world. Will you cleanse me today? I receive. Open up my spiritual eyes in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, there's a link below that says, I prayed this prayer for the first time. I received Jesus for the first time. Will you put your name in the link? Because we would love a chance to follow up with you. But if you need more prayer, if you want to break through in whatever area in your life, will you go into our online altar call and there are leaders and there are pastors there to pray with you and to pray for you. But for now, can everybody rise to our feet where we sing the final song. Thank you, Father God. 
Lord Jesus, Father God, today, every single person, Father God, today we are dressed in your righteousness. Every single person, Lord Jesus Christ, that we're dressed in your righteousness and we are, you have put a clean turban on our heads so that you have empowered us, you have released us, you have absolved us, Father God, so that we can be appointed royal priesthood for you, Lord Jesus Christ. We are appointed to pray. We are appointed to worship. We are appointed to be good husbands, to be good fathers, to be good workers, to be good family members, to be good friends. We are appointed and we're going to be anointed by you, Father God. Will you anoint our heads with oil today that we can walk in obedience to you, Lord Jesus Christ, that we can walk in the path of truth and righteousness before you so that you have given us the authority to take charge of your courts. You have given us authorities and you've given us the keys, oh Lord Jesus Christ, to take charge of your courts. And I want to thank you that you're going to use each and every one of us to attract people to the grace of God that God has willingly died for each and every one of you to be released into the fullness of your prophetic destiny. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. And I, Father God, I want to bless every single person tuning in. I want to say, Lord Jesus, shine your face upon Upon them, bless them, shine your favor upon them, bless their going in, bless their going out, bless their sitting down, and bless their sitting out. And I want to thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you sealed every single promise that is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name, we all say, Amen. amen. God bless you, every single person. Will you tune your eyes to Pastor Jeffrey as he gives us the closing remarks? God bless you. Bye, church.